Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 192, Healing Through Sacred Landscapes. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there. Wherever you are in the world, you are welcome. It's good to be back with you. Hope you enjoyed that new moon in Gemini, bringing forward new ideas, helped by the Jupiter-Mars conjunction. And we're now in a waxing phase of the moon, which means for the next so many days up to the full moon, you're going to be able to think about these projects and start practicing them, start manifesting them, not just talking about them, doing something with them. You can ride the wave of activity and creativity. And it's going to be help because Mercury, which has been going retrograde, goes direct on June the 3rd, which means that we're starting to see movement, not only in our words, in our practices, in our manifestations, maybe even in short journeys and in supply chains. Maybe we're going to get food for our our babies, the formula that has been held up, which I can never understand how that ever happened. So hopefully the short journeys that I know many were cancelled over the past weekend, maybe that was part of Mercury going stationary and now moving forward again. And because Mercury is in Taurus, which is all about the body, that's why I'm suggesting that this is going to be increasing food supplies. Same time, however, Saturn is deciding to go retrograde, and it does this every year for about four and a half months. And so when Saturn goes retrograde, you can actually feel as if things are going slower, you're being held back. Saturn is about restrictions and limitations. So even though I'm hoping Mercury will improve some of these food chain problems, we may still see this continue because Saturn is now going retrograde. But when Saturn's in Aquarius, it's it's all about, as I've described before, about structuring the way we live in communities, about who controls the community, who is the authority of the community. And there's a lot of battles going on about whether it's money, where will this money go in our community, or elections, how will that appear, who's going to control these, or who's going to control the movement around, so transport. There's a lot of issues going on about not only the control from the top down, from from the bottom up. What is it our community need for education and health? And that's part of what I'm going to talk about today, which is what is health and how does our landscape, especially our sacred landscape, help us? We tend to look at health, perhaps, from a pharmaceutical point of view or something that is missing from a pharmaceutical point of view, which is not true, of course. We have within us the ability to create most of those enzymes and endorphins and drugs that we might take artificially. But if we knew how to realign our bodies to the natural rhythms, to the landscape around us, it would also provide our body's ability to say, oh, she needs more of this. We'll help her to have that. You'll be amazed at how many of the drugs that are on the market actually exist already within us. It's just that we've forgotten how to produce them. So this Saturn in Aquarius now going retrograde 
is not only going to perhaps bring to the fore who's controlling the outcome, who's controlling what's going on, but also allow us to lay down new foundations for our community and to explore what has happened before so that this is looking at how did our ancestors deal with such issues? They've come through such times before. What did they do? How do we learn from the past? And if you're interested, learn from the future. Because I believe that many of us are here from the future in this time, or in other words, that time doesn't necessarily exist as a linear pattern, but a circular one. And that I can tap into my future lives as well as my past lives at one time. So this idea of actually being able to use the land which has been inhabited by both my ancestors in the past and my ancestors in the future and now me means there's a, a rich wealth of information that I can tap into and ask the land because it contains this information what is it I can learn from you about these times? How can I manage the ups and downs that are happening, some of the chaos that's happening, and some of what we would consider our present-day challenges, which are definitely there, but perhaps we could take a larger vision of this and understand that the land has gone through many changes and that we, if we tap into that land, can move with the land and go through the changes as well. I often as you know, go and speak to the rocks. I love leaning against rocks, humming to the rocks, speaking to them, or to old trees. And I think, wow, who has sat under this tree? Who has made love under this tree? Who has fought under this tree? Trees that are one or 200 years old. You think of how much they've seen. And then the rocks, of course, are here for millions of years. What have they witnessed? And here I see the rocks like a video camera, they're just standing there, just taking images. And when I tap into those rocks, I can tap into the video camera. I can see what's been happening and I can sense it and I resonate with it. If you want to know more about that, you might look at my Insight Timer course called The Magic of Mother Nature. But our ability at this moment in time is saying wherever we may feel restricted, What's important is not get locked into that restriction, but actually see outside the box in a very Aquarian way. And I think that what's happening with Saturn in Aquarius going retrograde, not only is it going to bring up karma, which is owning something that doesn't belong to us, but also it's going to bring up healing. I think Saturn in Aquarius is going to also look at the past, not from a victim place, but okay, if this has happened in my community or this has happened in my family or this has happened in my life, what changes do I want to make? In other words, not to repeat something or not to keep going back and saying, wow, that was a terrible time. Okay, if you got the chance to change something, what would you change? And I believe that when we can see things from the bigger picture, which is the Aquarian way, we can see, okay, there's this option, there's this option. When we're just focusing on the smudge on the window, we can't see anything else. So this to me is a time for us to widen our vision, taking all the information, whether it's emotional or psychic or pra practical experience, and say, knowing all this to be true, 
how do I wish to move forward or how do we wish to move forward? And this really takes me to a lovely talk I was listening to called The Human Henge by Tim Darvel, who is a professor of archaeology in Bournemouth in England. And he created, or he and others created, this wonderful study back in 2016 that looked at how does our environment, our heritage, help us to perhaps lift ourselves out of mental distress. He describes how one in four people will experience mental distress, we'll call it that, over their lifetime, and I'm sure some of you have had that experience. And it's not something to be put under the counter or under the covers, nor is it to be necessarily drugged, because many a time the isolation that we're feeling or the, the feelings of abandonment or feeling of being judged, and these are common feelings, the suicidal feelings or feeling depressed, come about because we almost want to say, look, just drug these people and get them out of our life because we don't understand them. They're too scary for us. And therefore, instead of seeing someone as a mental illness having a problem that we need to fix, maybe we need to find a way of entering their world and saying, what is it that's causing you to feel so distressed, so out of touch with the reality? And he took few groups, I mean, there were just three groups and they were small numbers, but he took these three groups at different times of people who were selected by the National Health Service, the psychiatric unit there, people who found themselves in a dark room and they felt no way out. So these were people who really probably drug treatment had not always helped. And so they were given the guidance and the allowance if they wanted to be included in the survey, they could be. But it was very much to say is how does our landscape help us to feel healthy, not only physically, but mentally. And as I was listening to him talk, I thought so much about what I had learned when I was a doctor. First of all, we know that somebody who looks out on greenery, on nature, when they're in their hospital bed, gets better twice as quickly as if someone who's just looking at a white wall. I mean, that says so much. And when I was a young doctor, we first of all would allow somebody to have flowers at their bedside. Oh, no, we don't do that anymore. Germ, blah, blah, blah. But bringing flowers in reminds us that we are part of nature and our, the colors are so essential. And then secondly, I used to work in a hospital as a cleaner when I was a medical student. I would go in and do cleaning, et cetera. And the hospital I was in was a say, one level hospital, beautiful old cottage hospital, as we would call it. And the doors would open to the fields outside. And so the patients would go and take their chairs and sit outside and talk to each other. Of course, they had time to talk, which we don't allow now. We take somebody in, we throw them out the following day. But they would talk. The healing came from them sharing out in nature. Sometimes if they could move around, they would walk around the grounds, which were beautiful grounds. And we'd always laugh because if the sun was shining, this was in England, they looked better than their visitors who came to visit them, even though they had had maybe major surgery or something had happened. But I know that those individuals got better quicker and much deeper 
than the ones who were thrown out after one or two days, didn't have anybody to talk to, and just looked at the white wall. There is so much we're missing in this. And I've spent time going around different hospitals where they perhaps have music coming in or a place where you could walk through something that was nature. I've seen that in, in Scandinavia. We, we kind of go, oh, that's just like, that's fafaf. That's just like, just on the edge. It's not. It's essential to our healing. And as uh, Professor Darville was talking, I thought about working in a very big mental hospital that uh, was in the north of London. And that, we always said its corridors were almost a mile long. I mean, it was a huge hospital, but it had amazing grounds. And the grounds had vegetables and animals and, and the patients were allowed voluntarily to go and work with the animals or work on the land. And it was an amazing place to be. But of course, there came the rule that said, no, no, you can't exploit the patients. Let's put them all back inside the hospital, lock them up. Of course, guess what happened? Their need for pharmaceuticals went up dramatically. And so what I know is that when I worked with some schizophrenic people and was invited to work with them, we took them out and into nature, maybe to just a walk behind trees or with trees and just through some woods, et cetera. And many of them had never been in nature, never had the awareness of being near a tree or a rock or it, and they said, wow, just being with these trees that are larger than me makes me feel safer. Not insignificant in a bad way, but really my issues are less significant when I'm actually out in nature. Everything becomes expanded in a positive way. And this is what Professor Darville found, is that many of these individuals felt that things got back into perspective. They felt more relaxed. They felt not judged. They felt not alone. They felt that because they were in the small group, which may be 10 or 12 people, they had other people around them. And because of this, their confidence grew. And he said many of them had never been able to get out of their homes to go anywhere or maybe get on their own tr transport to go somewhere. Now they were getting on buses or trains and were confident enough to do that. Somehow, Mother Nature had surrounded them with this confidence, given them a thrust, and what appeared like a dark room had given them windows and doors that they could exit and come back into the dark room if they wanted, but there was a way out. And what he included was not only the fact that he would bring different pieces of pottery or specimens or objects that they had found at archaeological digs, and he would then sort of reenact with other people what it must have been like to be an ancestor of a thousand years, two thousand years. They would go to places like Stonehenge, Avebury, which are three or four thousand years old, and they would go, imagine what it would have been like to be there. And he didn't just take them into Stonehenge amongst the stones, he would take them to places that were there before the stones. So imagine you watching the stones being laid down, people building these Stonehenge. And he said that it was as much important to be able to be in the landscape because we know that the ancient people would build their stone circles, their sacred sites, often according to the landscape. Where is the river? Where's the stream? Where's the hill? Where does the sun come up? Where does the sun go down? And he also said, well, you know, British, <laughs> British weather has not changed that much. 
So what does it mean to be in rain when all this is happening or sun? And how would this have been for our ancestors? And he saw how, again, being able to take ourselves out of our lives as they are now, just for a time, but in a very safe environment, but being able to say, wow, other people have walked this land before me. Other people have been here. They've moved through space. They've understood the rituals of life and the rhythms of life. It allowed them to explore themselves in other landscapes, which had brought healing. And then he would offer situations like bringing someone who sang or someone who played an instrument that was from the far back, um, or he would do dances. He'd bring in dances and he said that in the end of the, the time that they were together, I think it was about 10 weeks, he said that many of the participants in this study actually chose to let me enact something, let me show you what I've learned. So they would share their, their pictures because they would also be given the chance to draw or create pottery or do mask making. And that creative energy, which is so essential for us, which is getting lost in a two-dimensional phone, a screen, a computer screen, is so essential. And what I've come to understand that schizophrenia, I think, begins back at that age when you're four or five, because at four or five, you are sent out, hopefully, into places where you can explore your environment. So you climb a tree, or you go down into the mud, or you go into the caves, or you roll down a hill, or you you think, well, this is something that I can create. And you're entering into the earth. Uh, in my day and age, it would be even just seeing the table as maybe a ship or something, a car I was going into. But I was entering into a three-dimensional world. With the children nowadays, only seeing screens, even if they have virtual goggles on or whatever else they're doing, it's still a screen in which they're entering they're not entering their bodies into it. So their mind might be entering into something, but their body isn't. And to me, that's the beginning of the problems with schizophrenia, where your body is, is not accessed. Just, it's just your mind is going into what we might call your imagination or consciousness, but your body doesn't have that same in, inherent understanding of how it fits into the three-dimensional world. And I see that again, and so seven years later, we're moving into our teenage years and puberty. And again, I think there's a, a real push there to, to how do we relate to people? And again, if we become isolated, if we're socially isolated, which happened, of course, during lockdown, we don't have, again, that interconnection with our peers, whatever that means. But again, it's a, it is a body-centered interaction, even if it's not a sexual one. Um, I'm talking about whether you're playing sports or whether you're hugging or whether it's, it's an interaction. And then when you're 18 or 19, that's another seven years on from there, then I think that's where we see schizophrenia come out. So I'm talking seven year cycles here. And I think that that nine, 18 or 19, if we have not entered into our body, if we have not entered into this earth, and it's only our mind that is functional, schizophrenia is far more common. So when I see Professor Darrell doing this amazing work where he would take people amongst the stones, but also amongst the trees and amongst the ditches and amongst the, the, the waterways, and they would actually be in the water or they'd you know, be in the rain or be in wherever, and they understood their relationship to nature 
that made a big difference. And he took a survey a year on and saw that many of them were feeling they were connecting more with other people. They were more relaxed. They were more confident. You know, it wasn't a cure at all, but it certainly showed that there was something very magical about being in these landscapes and not only just amongst trees and rocks, as I say, but amongst something that's ancient. And that really took me full circle to understanding the, the way in which not only are these stones in a certain way um, with their own video camera, but the way they've been positioned also brings resonance through sound, brings resonance through the materials that we're creating for those stones, uh, brings it through the shapes in the trees. And when we see the shapes in the trees or we see a stone that has a particular color to it, there's a resonance within us. And a couple of podcasts before I was talking about gold and how important gold is. And this is really what Lawrence Gardner was talking about is, yes, there is monoatomic gold, but actually all of these stones contain that gold within them. You know, over the millions of years that the stones were created, they took in all these different substances. And so that when we're in tune with the stones or the trees, we're actually in tune with some ancient, ancient elemental energies that would help us. And I was listening to someone talking about crystals, and funny enough, she talked about gold, and she said, if, if we were to sprinkle gold dust, this monotomic gold dust, instead of the chemtrails, the, the materials they spread during chemtrails, if we were spreading this gold dust across the planet, she said, for a year, we would absolutely bring this planet back to its beautiful and perfect state, as well as all the humans living on it. And it, it reminded me of just how powerful, when I was speaking about that, how powerful this gold is. But we don't have to imbibe it or have it pouring down. We can bring that up. We can bring that energy into our hearts just by looking at the sun, looking at sunrise, sunset, or just imagining that gold bringing regeneration into us. And so my final piece is to encourage all of us to go out into nature you don't have to go to a sacred site. You don't have to go to a place and embed yourself in all of the beings that have been here before. Maybe some of them ET, some of them human, because many of us believe that these very ancient sites were probably laid down in essence by ETs. And those ETs might be you. You may have come all those thousands of years ago to lay this down so that you could remember 10,000 years later. So I believe this Saturn Aquarian retrograde is about remembering not only karma that's perhaps something that's hurt us, but karma about who we are, reminding ourselves, remembering what is it that comes to your mind when you go to a sacred site? Throw away the archaeology books just for now. Throw away what I'm saying just for now. Where do you resonate? And it may not be in your head and you saying, oh, well, I remember being here in a past life. It may be your heart that resonates. Or you use the palm of your hand, preferably your non-dominant hand, and you feel around and you say, it's this tree that seems to resonate with me, or it's that butterfly. The more we find ourselves resonating, the more we are remembering who we are. And when we remember, the more we start living the fullness of who we are. So I hope you've enjoyed this journey 
both into the future and into the past, but remembering that everything we need to heal us is already here on this planet. All we have to do is open our hearts and our body and allow those energies into our beingness through light energy, through resonance, through the elements. Until then, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.